Hi guys, my name's Jason Mountford and welcome to this week's episode of The Hedge. This week, we're talking about careers, earning money, making the most of your job, making sure you're happy and making sure that you're setting yourself up for, for financial security. I know I talk a lot about investments and pensions and all that kind of stuff, um, which is really important, but you got to have money to be able to do that. And I think one thing that gets probably overlooked a little bit when you're when people like me are talking about how to get ahead financially, how to be better with money. We don't talk enough about how to earn more. And for a lot of people, especially people who are earlier on in their in their career, in their life, who not have the time to build up those investment assets, earning more money uh, is, is really the number one way that you get yourself in a better financial position. So this week, I'm joined by uh, Andy Taylor, Andy is the director of financial services recruitment company uh, Exchange Street. He used to be a um, work for Barclays Investment Management as well, so he's well well known in the industry. We talk a little bit about the kind of state of of, of work, the state of um, the job market in financial services, but also broadly, you know, generally speaking, you know, how has the pandemic changed the way that businesses um, approach hiring people, approach managing people, giving them the flexibility to work from home, those sorts of things. So we talk about kind of the, the, the current lay of the land really for people who are looking for maybe a new job, looking for the first job. And we also talk about some some key tips and, and strategies of how to get the most out of your career. And this is particularly relevant for people who are um, early on in their career. So new graduates, people looking for their kind of, not yeah, the first job or, or jobs early on, or, you know, the first few jobs that, that they're looking at. And also people who are looking to make a career change as well. So um, Andy has got some really good advice for people of the types of things you should look for when you're looking for a new employer or looking, especially looking for your first employer. Um, so it's a really good conversation. We talk a lot about um, what the future might hold. Um, and it's a pretty uh, a pretty positive one if you're somebody who is looking for a job. Um, Andy believes that we're in a, a pretty strong candidate market at the moment. So um, it's a good time to be you know, looking at what else is out there, maybe thinking about like I always say, what you want your life to look like and how you structure your career to support that ideal life. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Andy Taylor. Stick around to the end. I will catch up and do, as always, a debrief, my thoughts on the episode and what to think about and how to apply it practically to your career, your money, your own life. So joined today by Andy Taylor from Exchange Street. Andy, thanks so much for coming on the show, mate. Pleasure. Good to be here. So it's kind of a funny one, really, because I was thinking about this the other day when we've obviously been speaking a bit the last couple of weeks, arranging to um, for me to get you on the show. And I realize it's probably been five or six years since we, we first spoke because funnily enough... Um, I actually got in touch with you before I even moved to the UK. I don't even know how I got your details, um, but I, I sent you over some some questions, asked you a bunch of stuff, took up a Remember. bunch of your time asking yeah. you, how does, this, how does the system work? Can I get a job? What's it all like? And here we are five or six later having a chat on, on a podcast. A bit weird really, isn't it? The circle of life. But yeah, no, I, I, I do remember. I remember having, because I had a few chats with people um, around the same time who were coming from Australia because... Um, I always find it peculiar because back in the UK, in, in my market, we were copying the Australian model of financial planning. We're making a big song and dance about it because that mm -hmm. was when we were sort of moving away from commission into more sort of fee-based work. Yeah. Um, and then people were coming over from Australia, well-qualified, good track records, 
obviously spoke the language culturally very very similar um, and they were coming over to, to the UK and it was like oh well you have to start from scratch again so it was always one of those where I felt a little bit bad for people um, so I wanted to go out my way just a little bit just to sort of explain what why that might be and what you might have to do so yeah I, mem- I remember sort of seeing it a few years later when you'd wound back up as a financial planner over here and I, I did feel a sense of pride well i don't know if i'm making you too proud just yet but hopefully we've got plenty of uh plenty of that to come in the future but i think that's that's one of the the reasons why i wanted to get you on really is to talk to talk to you about careers really i mean that's obviously your your area of expertise it's it's what you do is you you help people with with their careers and i think you know i talk a lot about investing and money and, and those sorts of things which is all important stuff but you have to have money to be able to do that side of things and really i think one of the the areas of personal finance that doesn't get talked about as much is your income. You know, how to grow your income, how to um, push your career forward and that sort of thing. So that, that's the main reason I really wanted to have a, a chat with you today. Now, we've gone through a weird couple of years. We're constantly being told in the media that it's a pretty unique time in the job market. Is that is that kind of a bit of media hype or does recruitment job market industry seem a bit unusual to you at the moment? It, it it's been a bit bonkers um, in terms of I mean recruitment is is ups and downs you know you're, de- you're dealing with people you know it's a a sales job where mm-hmm. your product is a person and you are selling to another person um, and quite often in my line of work I'm selling a salesperson to a, a salesperson with everything that, that can bring so recruitment does tend to be up and down but certainly in my sector and most recruitment uh, markets it's fairly steady. You, you will have some very, very good years and you'll have some other years which are okay and, and usually in between. What we've had over the past couple of years, the, the difference between great, as, as it has been for a lot of recruiters in the past sort of nine months in particular, and what it's been like the rest of the time, that, that is a vast chasm. Um, you know, if we, if we go back to March 2020, we were a little bit ahead of the game. We, we sort of planned for the worst, hoped mm-hmm. for the best. Um, but the, the kind of the worst happened probably beyond our expectations around that time. Um, but by sort of say September, August, September of, of 2020, things felt better again. There was more positivity around. Um, it was busy for a period of time. Um, and then, you know, you go back through the same scenarios, more lockdowns, ebbs and flows. So there's probably been times, particularly over the past nine months, um, where a lot of recruiters have done exceptionally well. Um, particularly in certain sectors, a lot of recruitment businesses which were frantically furloughing staff, were frantically making people redundant, a year mm. later are frantically hiring again. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's been probably really, really good for a lot of people for 12 months, but the other 12 months, like me, they've probably been shitting themselves a little bit, worried yeah. about the fact that all of a sudden everyone's turned the tap off because a bit like in the investment market, you know, fear, you know, you're known what do people do in general when they don't know what the future holds. They just stick with what they've got. They, mm. Even though they know they need to replace or the fundamentals are there to, to hire someone, you do what you do and you go, okay, let's keep costs down. And people start thinking about recruitment as a cost rather than an opportunity. So yeah, it, it's, it's been, it's been for some recruiters and particularly in some markets, I, I should imagine, fantastic but probably just a big relief as much as anything which is probably why you get this sort of outpouring of isn't everything fantastic because yeah. there's probably those businesses for a while were probably really worried about how they're going to pay their staff quite frankly yeah i mean you know there's an uh, article just came out a few days ago that the 
the UK has the GDP growth for the last for 2021 was um, 7.5%, which I think mm-hmm. I think the the stat was that's the um, the highest in the um, in the G7 or the G20, one of the Gs anyway. Um, but of course that came that's coming off the back of a 9.4% contraction in gdp for the year before that so i guess that kind of is what you're saying there is that that sort of mirrors what we've seen and it makes sense right gdp is economic Mm. activity so Mm. it's um makes a lot of sense it would have been a tough couple of years for for business owners wouldn't it and you're kind of in both camps there you speak to a lot of them and um you you sort of part owner of, of the company as well so has those conversations been tough? Have you, have you found a lot of the people that you're speaking to who own businesses, have they been worried as, as well over the last couple of years at times? I, I think on the recruitment side, um, the people I know in other recruitment businesses, that they, they have been worried because mm. um, I suppose recruitment is like advertising, it's like construction. It's one of those things which you can turn the tap off just very quickly. You can just yep. say, that's it. Um, and it's usually the, one of the first things to go. Um, so when you're trying to plan your business and you're used to a certain flow of, of, of income, a certain flow of activity, for that to be, broadly speaking, switched off in, in droves as a, re- as a recruitment company, you, you're going to worry. Um, I mean, we, we've been through some tough times. We went through the credit crunch back in 2007, 8, 9, which was a really, really rough time. Uh, we went through the retail distribution review scenario in in the UK financial planning market about a decade ago, uh, but but this this was this felt worse. This felt mm. really, well, how do you plan? How do you look at things going forward? And I suspect that the furlough scheme for a lot of recruitment businesses was an absolute lifesaver. Without mm. that, I think it would have been really really tough for businesses to either continue or certainly continue in the same vein. Financial planning businesses. They, they seemed okay, to be honest. They, they, I think they understood the fundamentals of things. I think they were obviously, there was a bit of concern because stock markets would, would be hit. Um, their assets under management would be hit. Their ongoing advice fees would be hit. So uh, they wouldn't be human if they didn't worry about that. But I think, again, they probably knew that that was probably a temporary thing that at some point yeah. in time, let's keep the clients, let's hold hands. I'm, I know investment managers who had to work very, very hard during that period, be, uh, simply holding hands with people, keeping them reassured to stick with it and it would all come back, which it did. So I think from, from my sector, you know, with the on-ground advice fees and the way that businesses are structured nowadays, um, I, I know companies were furloughing staff. I know there were some redundancies, but it wasn't whole scale. It, yeah. it was quite sort of small, really, in terms of what they needed to do. Um, other sectors would have been, you know, if you recruited into the hospitality sector, leisure sector, um, that that would have been very, very, very tough. Uh, but in, in mine, I think the fundamentals were always good. The way that the the industry is set up now um, means that those businesses are more sustainable. They have a pretty good idea of what's coming in year to year. Um, and there are other things as well. You know, more, the mortgage market was very, very buoyant. Um, because of the, the, the changes that they made to do with stamp duty and what have you. So mm. on my side, dealing with the people that I deal with, they were okay. I think they were just waiting it out. Yeah. I mean, you know, of all the industries in the world, really financial services is the one that it's probably being touched the least, I'd say. You know, like you mentioned, the property market's been very strong. Stock market's mm-hmm. generally been very strong the last couple yep. of years. Um, we can all work from home. You know, we're not... So it's, it's, you know, makes a lot of sense, I suppose. And it's it's one of those ones where I think people like you and me who work in an office, we can be a little bit spoilt to the realities for some people who, who don't have necessarily the same um, flexibility available in, in their work. But in terms of um, that change that's happened, 
-hmm. obviously pre-COVID work from home was kind of a nice fringe perk if you could get it you know it's pretty rare really from and even people who were able to work from home would be working from home maybe a day a week if they're lucky a couple of days a week um things are starting to get back to pre-COVID a little bit from in that respect. I know some businesses are really keen to have people back in the offices, for example. Do you think if we're looking forward longer term, like five, 10 years ahead, do you think the, the job market in general for, for white-collar workers is going to look um, just like it did pre-COVID or do you think we're going to retain this hybrid approach for the long term now? I think human behaviour has changed um, and, it, and it's here to stay. You know, big, big things that happen in history change what we do, you know, going back to First and Second World Wars, you know, it, it changed the role of women in society and, and people's expectations of them working in the, you know, going out to work, um, going back as far as, you know, the plague, the Black Death, it, it killed a lot of people. So all of a sudden it gave us social mobility and there's no going back from those scenarios. And certainly now um, there are firms who are pushing to get people back in the office but they are seen as being out of touch. Mm-hmm. They are seen as being, you don't trust us Yeah. then. You know, it, uh, the, the, a lot of businesses pre-COVID didn't do home working. Um, the, the general assumption is working from home with shorthand for watching the telly, catching <laughs> up with something. Are you yeah. going to the shops? What, what, what are you actually up to? It was, there was a level of distrust there. Yeah. Um, COVID came along and it, it changed things because all of a sudden those people who ran those businesses were all of a sudden, bang on, they're, they're still doing their jobs. They're still being conscientious. We're not suffering. And that's because most people are quite conscientious. Most people at home, you don't have people coming around to your desk on a Monday morning talking about the weekend for an hour. Yeah. If anything, and I've, I've, I've seen this in my, in my own home environment, there's no getting away from work. There's yeah. no popping out at the shops. There's no walking to that meeting and walking back and having 15, 20 minutes to clear your headspace. It's it's Zoom to Teams to Zoom to Teams. It's back to back. Um, and I think as it went on, it just became clear that the vast majority of businesses could cope if people were working from home. I get why when it came to um, training people with younger people getting into the workplace, if they're working from home, you're working from home, it's very difficult for a lot of businesses to train those people because you learn mostly by osmosis, by listening and, yeah. and overseeing. Um, but yeah, we, we're, we're not going back to those days because that's not what people want. If it comes to marketing a job now, one of the questions I always ask is homeworking, flexibility, what, what, what's on offer? Generally speaking, firms say, well, we, we expect people in the office two or three days a week, a couple of days a week, we don't. Um, they can come in if they want, but it's up to them. Um, other, other, other firms are shutting offices on Friday and say, we, you know, we just shut the office on Friday. They can do what they want on Monday. So we can, we can work around that. If a company says it's office, it's nine to five, it is what it is. Then we're kind of advising, well, actually you need to, yeah, you need to look at that because there's a lot of people who don't want it. And even people who work from an office, I like working from an office, you know, exchange street. Um, we've always worked from home. We've mo- half of our consultants hardly ever set foot in the office. Mm-hmm. That's what they enjoy doing. I don't like working from home all that much. Um, yeah. My wife has commandeered the the office, <laughs> so she she's got that, and, and she likes working from home because she can get on with her job without being interrupted. In recruitment, I like the energy of being around other people, um, yeah. and I like the collaboration side of things. So I come into the office, but again, 
if a, if I if I was to look for a new job, if a firm said you are expected in the office nine to five, I'd be like, this isn't the place for me because yeah. we've all got lives, we've all got deliveries, we've all got things that need to be done, we've got kids, we've got drop-offs, pickups. To me, it speaks more about trust than anything else. And if mm-hmm. you feel that your employer trusts you, you're going to work hard for them. Um, and the other aspect as well is if, if people aren't going to work very hard, if they're going to skive, they skive in the office. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, 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 they might take the piss at home, but they'll skive in the office. They'll take the piss in the office as well. So to me, it's there'll always be those people who, who bend things to um, yeah get away with doing as little as they possibly can. But a lot of people are very conscientious and some people are too conscientious. And that probably is the other thing we'd probably need to be a, a bit careful of now. If you're at work and it's 5, 5, 5.05 and people are starting to go and you're probably thinking, oh, the traffic, I need to get off. Off we go, log your computer off. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty of this as well. You leave your laptop on at home. You're jumping yep. on it at eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock yeah, at night. Yeah, just one last check of the emails. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm 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 terrible for it. And mm. and then as soon as I wake up in the morning, I'm checking my emails within about three blinks, as I open my eyes to see oh, what what's what's come in. Yeah. So I think that will be the the new danger that that people don't have that capacity to 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 stop. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, it, it it is here to stay. So companies need to get used to it. Yeah, you you make a good point about um, new entrants to the workforce, and I want to talk about that a little bit more um, later on because I think that's that's very new. That, but we'll get to that in a minute. Before we kind of move on, um, I wanted to ask you about this term, the Great Resignation, and it's more been it's more for the US market that we've kind of seen it. You know, lots of people leaving, especially lower paid work. Um, and again, we've already said we've already kind of touched on the fact that financial services is, is probably a, a little bit. Um, not immune from what's going on but probably one of the sectors that has been impacted the least but do you think we are or are you seeing um, a lot of job activity people moving jobs people looking for for new things with this new world that we're, we're living in have you seen any kind of um, inklings of this great resignation here in the UK at all not so much on my side um, mm-hmm. I, I think we are we're very much in a candidate marketplace um, and I think people, again, through COVID have done things like reassess where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what makes me happy? What doesn't, you know? So before the mindset around work was you, you, you work hard, you do extra hours, you know, you, you, you have that Anglo-Saxon work ethic where you look down on those other countries that, that leave the office at half past four, that, that has changed. Like, that has, that has changed. And when you look at, um, younger people as well, they prefer flexibility and working kind of on their own terms when they're when they're ready for it. You know, if they don't feel up to it at five past nine in the morning, logging on at 10 and working a little bit later, they want flexibility around it, whereas businesses aren't always keen to offer it. But I think there's been a, a, a complete mind shift around it. So people have been assessing their lives. People have been assessing sat in cars. Um, not being able to drop the kids off at school and, and everything that, that comes with it. So, yeah, I think there's been the, the great resignation is probably a lot of people just realizing that their employer is is a bit crap and they don't <laughs> look after them. And they yeah. feel that there are businesses out there who will treat me as a human being. Of course, as a business, you need people to work and they need to do a certain amount of hours. You need a certain amount of productivity out of them. But mm-hmm. I think if it's if there's empathy there, as in your child is sick today 
you know, let, let's just deal with it. You know, yeah. if you, you, if you're, if you've got someone conscientious, they will make the time up. They'll work hard to, 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 to prove that they're worth you letting them shoot off a little bit early. It's, it's just treating people as humans. So I, I suspect that the great resignation was a lot of people both deciding where I'm at. They've not treated me very well during furlough or actually the working conditions aren't here aren't particularly great, but allied with a lot of people who've gone, what am I doing this for? I'm on this morning, but I'm not seeing my kids. I'm not, I'm working on the weekends. I'm working at, at nights. Um, I don't feel particularly valued. What what do I want to do for my, for my life? And it, it's probably given people an opportunity to reassess what they want from life and look at work in a different perspective rather than work being this thing where you go to work and you have to work extremely hard and you have to do very, very long hours. And if you've got a cough or a cold or you're feeling a bit sick, you still plow into the office and, and, and carry yeah. on as best as you can. Um, it's now a little bit more, do you know what? I don't feel very well today. I'm, yeah. just, I'm just going to take the day off and I'll come back tomorrow and feel fresher. Um, it's I'm not prepared to do what you wanted me to do before. So mm. the smart businesses, uh, they've been the ones who've been taking advantage of that because they've been the ones saying, well, look, we, we treat you as human beings. We allow you to have this flexibility. And those ones that have stayed and have said, well, this is the working world. These are our expectations on you. They're the ones who have suffered. So the, the, the great resignation, uh, yeah, probably more in a, in, in a US setting, but there's been a lot of opportunities for people to, to look around. But now we're into a scenario whereby there are still lots of opportunities around, but not so many candidates, not so many people who are looking for those jobs, mm -hmm. simply because I suppose a lot of businesses have got a lot better at looking after people. Mm. There's, there's, there's full employment. So they've had to become better. They've had to go let's reassess what we offer salary wise benefits wise hybrid working wise because otherwise you, you you lose good staff and it's hard to replace them so that there, there, there will have been a big shift yeah have you seen much of a shift in location so obviously uh, around the world the vast majority of kind of the major job markets are major cities and therefore that's where most people live it's kind of that that never-ending loop of you know more people want to live there because there's more opportunity and therefore that that kind of cycle increases have you seen much of a change with that i know you know there are some senior people who are able to um move further away from the office because they're not needed in there as much and that sort of thing but is, is that something you're seeing a bit more that people are prepared to take a job with an office that's maybe further away than what they would have considered before because they only need to make that commute a couple times a week yeah yeah a great a great deal of it actually um mm -hmm. so we we've got a, a, a client in cheshire who have basically opened up a, a hub over in west yorkshire because they were they were looking for a, a member of staff uh, they, they found someone who was ideal for them they just so happen to live in Leeds. Um, mm -hmm. And this is a business that's gone from being, you know, you're in the office nine to five um, to, OK, we have to be a bit flexible about it. So they hired someone. Um, and then the next time they're looking to hire, it was, well, we can look in Cheshire, but we can also obviously look over in West Yorkshire. So we, we end up with like a, a, a hub where three people are kind of working from home, but they meet up very, very regularly because they all live close to one another. Um, there's a lot of flexible networking now with these sort of we work, you know, go around any city centre now. There's, there's some beautiful offices where you can just go for the day, go for the week, an hour. Um, so these sort of hubs are, are starting to become the norm. Um, and we've got other businesses, you know, we're a FTSE 100 client who, again, historically, it was in the office. Um, but if the office is in Manchester or Leeds, fine. You know, you've got 
two million people on your doorstep, you can find staff. If you yeah. live in a, if or if, if the office is in a more rural location or in a, a centre of population that isn't so significant, there comes a point in time where practically everyone that's in that market has either worked for you, has had an interview <laughs> with you, is married to someone from there. Yeah. It's, it's where, where do you go? So they've had to look at good people, conscientious people. We know they work hard wherever they are. So as long as someone can get to the office once or twice a week, that's fine. So all of a sudden, instead of looking within sort of 15, 20 miles, you can push it out to 30, 40. Yeah. Um, we, we only need to see these people maybe once or twice a month. Okay, that's fine. We can now go up to two hours. So yeah. the talent pool has increased. You've been able to go much further afield. You've been able to tap into new markets. Um, it probably is something that is, generally speaking, more available the more senior you are. Yeah. Um, more senior people do get more flexibility. You want the best people as you possibly can. Um, and because of their seniority, you, I suppose people assume that there's a certain amount of professionalism and, and, a, and a work ethic there, which will make them feel comfortable about doing it. Um, on a lowercase basis, there is still some nervousness around location. Mm-hmm. And I think for certainly for some sectors, that will always be the case. I, th- I think it will take a big shift in some sectors for firms to go yeah we don't care where you live um but you know just knowing various markets like the it market does it does it matter if someone's a superstar you know whether they're in the office just head down working around the corner two hours away um visibility is important you know and i I think we probably have some challenges ahead about visibility and collaboration and and teamwork so it does depend a little bit on the role but yeah there's there's been a there's been a big shift Albeit the, the the big cities are still the places to go. I mean, I'm, I'm in Manchester, and the growth of Manchester has been astronomical. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, every time I go into the city centre, I mean, I live two miles outside, and every time I go into the city centre, I see a new tower block, I see a new mm. apartment complex, um, I see an area that was once either an industrial wasteland or just a, a, a normal working class area, is is now got these you know gleaming buildings everywhere. Um, so I think that the big cities are really sort of getting the best of both worlds, particularly outside of London, because they're able to pay people very, very well, give them that type of lifestyle in terms of high caliber living accommodation, good nightlife, restaurants and everything that comes with it. Um, but your outgoings are much less, both in terms Mm -hmm. of office space and also for the, for the people who live there. So yeah, it's been a big shift and I'm sure that will continue. Mm. We've touched on, um, new graduates um a little bit but you do a fair bit of work in the in the financial services industry with with people in this um in these circumstances people who are new to the industry or, or career changes and that sort of thing i want to talk a little bit about get some advice and tips from the experts on mm-hmm. what f- people who are entering the workforce because it's weird right it's weird i was just talking to a guy a couple of days ago he's still a university um but he's done like you know he can do like a professional year out so he's just done a year in the workforce, works in marketing, and he he just worked from his loft or his parents' loft for the uh, for the whole time. So it's 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 very strange. Um, people entering the workforce now are entering a very different workforce than what you and I entered, and you know anyone kind of around our age. So for people who are in that situation, new new graduates or people looking for the first job, what are some of the main things that you think they should be looking for for that first role? I think the most important thing for me is, um, and not just for them, for everyone, it's 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 what I would call like a pathway. 
um, how how are you going to develop me and what will that look like? Because mm. there are a lot of people who genuinely want to hire someone who hasn't done the job before. They they feel that they're giving someone a chance, which, which people like. Um, they feel like they're doing their bit for their profession if there's a bit of a skills gap. Um, they feel that it's good to mould your own member of staff rather than someone come with their own ideas and, the, and their own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Where it tends to fall down is that they have good intentions, but they have no idea or no time to actually train that person. Right. So quite recently, and it, and it can be, pe- people say all the right things. You know, I, I've spoke to someone quite recently. She joined a business um, as, a, as a training advisor. She, she's, she picked up her own level four qualifications. Um, she had a bit of experience, but worked for a firm and they were just too busy they were too busy day to day um they they didn't have the time for her so she felt like she was going into the office and sat there twiddling her thumbs trying to pick up on things um people weren't there to show her to demonstrate things to her there was just no real structure mm-hmm. so you've got to ask the questions about what 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 practically does that look like um you, I've, I've just again spoken to a to someone who's joining a local firm to me they, they're fantastic at developing people, um, mm-hmm. whether they're school leavers, grads, people with a bit of experience or not. They, they have a, a well-trodden pathway. They have different directions those people can go in, but they have a plan. They have a strategy of what they're going to do. So when that person goes in for interview and they say, what will you do for me effectively? Because that's what it's about. What What's mm-hmm. in it for me to join this company? And that is an important question to ask. It sounds selfish, but that's it Um, they can talk about well let's show you some examples of what we've done previously here's person a person b person c look where they are now look at the time frames look at where they're at with their qualifications this is what we will do for you It, it, it then feels like they're buying into you and they are making a commitment for two three years down the line and if you can find a firm that have a plan for you a real definitive need to want to hire you and you know that by working with them, you will become either qualified, part qualified, or get the skills and experience you need, then that's what you need to be jumping on. Mm-hmm. And if it means the salary isn't the greatest, but again, they have a plan as to how that salary will increase or how they'll reward you for passing exams or the fact that they'll pay for your exams and give you time off to study, you grasp it. Yeah. To me, if it means you have to relocate, you relocate. Um, I mean, I've, I've done it twice and it's... Um, it's, it's, it's challenging you go into a new place without knowing anyone um and it is harder nowadays because of of, of rent you know when i yeah. i did my moving last time i moved to manchester 2004 it was still expensive to me but it was probably about a third of the cost that it would be now so yeah. it, it it does make it harder for people to do that but it, it if need be if you can make it work sometimes you have to do it to get that experience. Once you've got that first couple of years under your belt, if you go into the right environment, that, that right first one or two years, I think you're set because you have the skills, the experience, you've worked with good people, you know what you're looking for, you know what bad looks like, and you've you've, you've got that structured pathway to where you want to be. And then at the end of that one year, two years, three years, you can assess from there. So if people are going to, to interview and speaking to these firms, it, it's really thinking about what what can you do for me will joining you put me in a good spot but what will it actually look like what mm-hmm. what is the process on my first week what will you have me doing 
And if they're a bit, oh, well, you can follow me around and see what I do. And um, then you'll sit with someone else and maybe we'll see from there. It, that doesn't really cut it. it it's yeah. got to be that first three months in particular. This is what it will look like pretty much from day to day. So if I'm off ill and I'm not here driving it, someone else can pick up the baton and okay. do it with you. So that, okay. that, that would be the key question. Okay, so that's that's interesting. So as you were as you were kind of explaining that, I was thinking, that's really good advice. If I was somebody who was a new graduate, it'd be pretty tough to go in there and and I know you're not suggesting you say it in that way. What can you do for me? Because normally yeah. you're thinking, yeah, yeah. Shit, I want my first job. Like I really want this job because you know the office is cool and the people seem nice and stuff. So I think it, it's definitely very easy. I know from experience to kind of tell people what you think they want to hear, but that makes a lot of sense. So what I'm kind of getting from from the last part of your answer there is that really what you want to see is as much structure as possible really for, for you entering that business because the more structured it is, the more the company's thought about it, the more they've actually put something specific in place, the more that, like you know, like you said, you'll, they'll have backup for if somebody's not in for a week. You, you know, it's not just like, well, you're going to be sitting there twiddling your thumbs or stuffing envelopes or whatever. So the yeah. more structure, the better really is what I'm taking from that. But basically, I mean, look at the yeah. um, accountancy firms, big accountancy firms have been doing this for years with grad school leavers and what have you. Um, they, 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 I'm sure they, they have a manual. I'm, I'm sure it's very much, okay, six months here, six months there, six... Yeah. Um, then, then you find your place and, and go from there. It, it is so structured, and that's why people will apply to them in droves, because you, you, particularly if you're leaving school, straight university, what are you used to? Structure. You, yeah. you have to turn up at a certain time. You have to get your homework done at a certain time. University is a little bit softer than that, um, but you, you still have your exams. You still have your, your, you know, this is when your lecture is. You have to be there to that, to listen to it, to be able to go off and do your your essay off the back of it. So you've come from a a structured world where you're used to um, some degree of autonomy, but mostly people telling you what to do and when in the nicest possible way. Um, To go into an environment whereby it's really loose, that can be difficult. Um, Like, for example, where where I work, we are we're all very experienced. Um, We all do our own thing. We don't have, you know, team meetings every morning and huddles and all that kind of stuff we get we just get on with it we know what we need to do we probably won't be the greatest environment for a for someone who wants to be a recruiter to come into Mm -hmm. being honest we're we're a great finishing school great place to come when you've done your stripes elsewhere but it we we don't have that structure um they'd be best suited to go work for one of the big companies whereby they'll be like right this is your training this week this afternoon you're on the phones you have to call this amount of people and you have to do it the next day and the next day and the next day. Um, yeah. That That's what people crave. That's what people need. Um, and I think that's what financial planning businesses have got to get used to doing. Probably the, the difficulty has been that historically financial planning has been a, a cottage industry. So average amount of people who work for a financial advice firm is probably under 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and SME firms in general aren't going to have the dedicated training teams. They're not going to have the training manual that you would if you were a a big four accountancy firm. So it it is harder for them. um, And that is why, again, the the, the firms that tend to do the best and tend to generate the most people for the profession tend to be the the bigger outfits. Mm. It used to be like direct sales forces and the banks. Um, But yeah, if you go to like investment management firms, accountancy firms, solicitor firms, it's all very, very structured. Whereas in my sector, it's a little bit more haphazard. 
mm-hmm. um, and it and it's it's catching up, but it it will take some time. But yeah, structure, and whilst it feels like being very very selfish about what's in it for me, and yeah, you won't go in and say that. You you do still need to have that, um, not not be grateful to have the opportunity, um, but the humility about you to say, yeah. okay, I appreciate you. You're taking a chance on me. You're basing that on my my personality as much as anything. I want to prove you right. So going into any sort of process with that type of mindset is important. But yeah, you, you do need to strip it back and say, there's no point me going to that, getting that job and being miserable in it. And that and yeah. that can happen if there's no structure there. So yeah, yeah see, see, seek out structure and plans. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. It's a lot. It's a lot. A lot better to have a sl- a conversation that makes you feel slightly awkward before you've accepted a job that might not be right for you than accepting it and then having to have an awkward conversation a couple of months in when you think I just got to get out of here. It's not right for me. Yeah, and I find people are a bit braver about that now. To be honest, um, yeah. I, I think it's probably a generational thing. When I, I mean, I'm only 41, but when I when I started work 20 years ago, you just went to work, and if someone told you to do something, you just you just did it. Um, you know, I remember my dad. He's a he's a joiner, and when he was doing his apprenticeship, he was like, if you didn't have anything to do, you would just literally go and pick up some bricks from one part of the yard, move them, sweep <laughs> up, and move them back. You, you had to be seen to be doing something. It was just yeah. show people, turn up before the boss yeah. arrives for work, leave after the boss goes, don't take all your holidays, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, mostly when I speak to people in their, their 20s now, they're a bit more, they're more mature, I would say. Mm-hmm. They're more together as, mm-hmm. as, as people. They have higher expectations, which can be challenging because I'm from the generation whereby you sometimes think, come on, just get that first job knock it yeah. off and then it will be fine. Oh, trust me. Um, but yeah, they are a little bit clearer um, about saying I'm, I'm not happy with this or I, I, I expect it to be like that, which yeah. I think people will find challenging because they're not used to it, but it's no bad thing. I don't think to have mm. clear expectations and to go into an interview and say, what, what do you expect from me? How are you going to measure my success, my performance? Yep. If I'm not in a sales role, what 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 what's good look like to you? So that when you go into that role, you have a clear idea as to what they want from you. But also the business has made it clear to you what they expect from you. So mm-hmm. again, if it's not being done, it's easy to to, to broach that conversation from either party. So yeah, yeah I think I think I, I just think they're a lot better than it when we were. We would have just sucked it up and hoped for the best. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Change for the better for sure. So, yeah. what about job hopping then? So people who have maybe taking that first role, they've been in there a couple of years or maybe longer, maybe shorter. Do you, how long do you think people should aim to to stay in in jobs kind of earlier on in their career? Do you think that there's a set kind of time where anything less than it looks a bit flaky? Is that still an issue now? Is it less of an issue now? What's your take on job hopping? It's probably the number one reason why people get knocked back. Right. For interviews. Okay. Um, now, pe- people's take on job hopping varies from firm to firm. Some people will look at, I mean, there are people out there who've had nine jobs in eight years. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not a good look. Um, but there are people who've had a job every two or three years and every move they've made has made complete sense. They're, they're, they're going upwards in the world. Yeah. Um, and for some people, they won't hesitate to look at that and go, that's fine. Um, I, I can see there's a nice progression. For others, it's all they haven't stuck around very long. Very long. So they yeah. assume... And they base their decision on, well, if they've only stayed at those firms for two or three years, they'll only stay at mine for two or three years rather yeah. than 
they are making their way in the world. I'm, I'm a better organization, I'm a better employer, and I can help them fulfill their ambitions. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who've been at a firm for 20 years and go for interview and people say, you've been at your company too long. Yeah. You're institutionalized. My, my overall view, sounds a bit sort of hippie, is um, you've got to be happy. You, yeah. you've, you've got to get something from your work, even if it's just work, um, and with a, with some degree of fulfillment and the people there are quite nice and it's convenient. Um, you've got to get something from it. it. It's it's generally speaking five days a week. That Sunday dread of thinking, oh, not another week in that place <laughs> with that person managing me or doing that same monotonous job. I think if you ever get to the point where you spend more time moaning about your work of a weekend than you do having a nice time, yeah. you've, you've got to move. So, yeah, it's great if you start out your career and, and work at places for 18 months, two years, two and a half years as a, as a minimum. Um, and you do have to be careful about where you where you go, because people will make judgments if you move on every six to 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would always put happiness and fulfillment ahead of all that. I'd rather take my chances and speak to an employer who, get, who gets it, who understands the reasons why I've moved on um, and is more open minded to it than someone that makes a decision based on you've not been there long enough. Therefore, I think if you come here, you will soon want to move on. Mm. Um, but yeah, you, you've got you've to get those decisions right more often than not. But again, when it comes to starting out your career, it's natural you move around more because I don't know about you, but when I left university, I had no idea what I wanted to do. No, no mm. idea. You don't even know what jobs there are in the world. You don't know what sectors yeah. there are. You don't know what you, you're good at. You know, you might be sort of quite bright and good at writing essays, but what does that mean in the working world? So you do have to try things out. You do have to try different jobs to, to find your place in the world. And I think the, the biggest message really is to employers, hiring managers, to be more empathetic to people who have moved around because there are a lot of crap employers. There are a lot of crap businesses. There are a lot of crap jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and if people have got genuine reasons why they've moved on, then they should disregard that more often than not, particularly if someone is, is younger and starting out their career. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're an experienced person and every year, 18 months, you've moved jobs, you're going to find it increasingly difficult. Yeah. And I think from my perspective, is that, if that's the, if that's where you find yourself, if you find yourself trying a bunch of different companies doing similar roles or, you know, 10, um, you know, associated kind of roles and you're just unhappy in all of them. Really what that tells me, it could be, it could be the job, could be the industry, mm. could be the career. It's not right for you. And it, it's a good segue because that's something that I wanted to ask you about as well. And I know, you know, with, with the work that you do with the, with the, in the financial service industry, you work with people looking to get into financial planning and that aspect. Um, of which there are plenty more graduates now. There's lots of people getting into it. It's becoming a bit more well-known as a career, but also a lot of career change. And I think financial planning is one of those ones, probably because the educational requirements aren't as high. You don't need a three-year degree to become a financial planner. So it's one of those ones that can be quite attractive for people um, looking to change careers. Um, What are some of the things that you or some of the advice you tend to be to give to people who are looking to to change careers and not necessarily specifically change careers into financial planning but making that move probably taking a pay cut that sort of thing yeah there's there's a there's a quite a lot of sacrifices that come with it and they will they'll probably have to get used to a level of rejection they've not hitherto had 
um <laughs> you know it, if, if you've been down one particular career path and you've done pretty well um to go to another one i don't think everyone always realizes or, or puts themselves in the position of that business you know you might be a a chartered accountant a solicitor you might be a doctor you might be incredibly bright but you're going to go do a job where you, you don't really know what you're doing day to day you are mm-hmm. starting from scratch um now to to try and bridge that gap um certainly within in, in my line of work and it probably is sort of applicable to others as well the, the people that get get on better with second careers with you know changing direction can can demonstrate can talk about why they want to do it coherently there's a mm-hmm. there's a trigger point there's something there which makes you go okay that makes sense it's not just something you've plucked out of thin air um and they can show they've done something about it so they have um enrolled on a training course of some sort they've maybe sort of looked at some professional exams that they can do because that way instead of putting on your cv i'm great but i've never worked in your sector <laughs> you can demonstrate i'm great i've not worked in your sector but this is what i've done about it i have i have made a commitment but you also need to be realistic about the financials because you you are sometimes going right right back down and i, I do think the firms are Generally speaking, they're, they're buying your potential because most people who are second careerists aren't anticipating being, say, in operations or administration forever. Most people mm-hmm. who are second careerists want to be in front of, of clients. They feel like they've got what it takes to be a financial planner, investment manager, an accountant, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're looking at a business that can, can fast track you. You're looking at a business that can use your skill set that you've got and just tailor it to, to their market. Um, so research, you know, that, that is a, a key component of it. I mean, a lot of the people who have a second career risk tend to find their own jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, going to recruiters as a general rule of thumb isn't really that applicable because people have to pay us fees. If you pay money for someone, you want someone who's going to come in yeah, and have, yeah. have a reasonable level of, of competency. You're not going to pay mm-hmm. for, for, for someone who hasn't. So if you if you research your target market and you have a really good reason as to why you want to get into it and you look at firms who are within a commutable distance from where you are, anticipating that you'll probably have to be in the office most most of the time when you're first starting out, mm-hmm. um, have, have a look on LinkedIn, have a look on their web pages. Do they have people at all different levels other people there who have joined that business with a bit of a random background and, yeah. you, and you can you can soon see them um you know oh you've worked in the media and now all of a sudden you're, you're in this or you've been in advertising now you're a power planner with them mm-hmm. because they're the firms to target they're the firms who are open-minded to say we hire on ability and personality and character yeah. and potential not on cv you you're not wasting your time by asking other people because you just never know um, but, you know, normally I sort of say you, you probably have to get together a target list of, of A's, B's and C's. So your A's are the ones who look like they've hired people like you in the past and, and, and gain touch with them. And don't be afraid to be sort of quite personal in terms of your approach. You don't have to be all corporate. Um, sometimes explaining to people what, what's what's led you to this position can be really persuasive because yeah. you're opening up to them. You're saying, well, this is a genuine reason why I want to, to be involved in it. I'm prepared for the sacrifices. I'm, I'm humble. I know I've done all this in my career, but I want to, I don't mind starting again, albeit I do have ambitions. Um, and you, you only need one person to buy into that. 
And I think increasingly people are are doing so because I suppose historically it's always been if you're going to get a trainee, you always think grad. That that yeah. has been the general thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, grads are in the twenties. When you're in your twenties, you have different priorities in life. Generally yeah. speaking, um, you you don't have life experience. You know, you've been in that sort of fairly cosseted world of of education. You've come out the other side, um, but you've not really had to do the you know the day to day working aspects of it. Whereas second careerists have got the advantage that they've they've been there, they've done it, they've engaged with people, they've been a success in them. You know, they've worked on projects, they know what it's like to be in work, they know what it's like to engage with other people and build relationships. Um, to me, they often have the advantage in that respect. So I'd, I'd never be afraid to tap into that as well. Tap into that. I am. I'm established, but I've got a mortgage. I've got a family. I've got responsibilities. Yeah. I need to make this work. And my focus is on work and having a fulfilling career and providing for my family and being able to have nice things in life. Whereas when you're 23, 24, you want to go out. Yeah. You're less likely you know? to come in the, into the office with a hangover if you're uh, uh, yeah, 38 I, with mortgage and two kids, aren't you? Yeah. You're going to be equally as tired because you've got your kids. <laughs> yeah, but true. When, when you, when you, you know, when I was working at Barclays after, after university, I, I swear I parted harder at Barclays in my first couple of years than I did in my last year at university. <laughs> it, it was because we were thrust into an environment whereby there was a group of sort of nine or 10 of us who were all in the same boat. We all got on really well. Um, and you, you, you have a bit of money in your pocket for the first time ever really because at uni you're always scratching around for cash whereas when you get out to the working world all of a sudden you've got a a salary coming in and fantastic off we go so I think your your priorities can be a little bit skewed at that point Um, a lot of people mature at at different rates uh, particularly us blokes you know Mm -hmm. and I I think it's when you get to your 30s and 40s and and even 50s that's when you start thinking okay I, I want in terms of that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's I want more of that fulfillment for my job now. It's not about the money. It's not about knowing everything. It's about doing something that I genuinely, generally want to do. Um, and I think if you're a second careerist and you can get that across to, to, to people who are looking to hire a trainee or looking to be open minded about these things, I, I think you can have an advantage in that respect. Mm. And almost inevitably, if you find something that gives you all those things that makes you happy that makes you feel fulfilled then often the money the money comes much more freely than it would if you if you're trying to grind doing something that you hate doesn't it i think that's uh, yeah money money i always say money takes care of itself if you're if you're happy fulfilled you're learning developing and you've got a good employer that the monetary side of things will generally take care of itself um money money solves a lot of problems in life it's a cliche but it, it doesn't make you happy and it and it doesn't because if, if someone said, I hate my job, oh, here's 60 grand a year for doing it, 80 grand a year for doing it. Fantastic. I've got loads more money now. But if if they hate it, they hate it. And they're still mm. moaning about it. And two weeks <laughs> in to that, they're still, yeah, I've got more money now, but I just spend all weekend hating the thought of going back to work on Monday. Yeah. So it, it, it's kind of pointless. And um, if you're not fulfilled, if you're not challenged, if you're not learning, if you're just unhappy or or even worse working in a toxic environment it's it's a killer you know the, the stress the problems it all brings um i think a lot of people and this is goes back to the, the whole covid and the great resignation thing there's probably loads and loads of people who have been in that position just thinking what what yeah. am i doing why am i killing myself for this company that doesn't really care about me i'd much rather go take my chances earn less but be happy 
So that 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 has been, you know, that that is where the sort of lockdown and COVID has has really really changed things. Mm. And what a positive positive change to have to have happened. Look, um, yeah, yeah. I think if we're going to take any any good side to to that to COVID, I think that's definitely been to be one of. It. I think it's made us all rethink our priorities, hasn't it? So um, massively. Look, Andy, been really good to have you on the show. I really appreciate you you giving Pleasure. me the time today. I think there's just there's so much happening in, in in this space in terms of the working world. I think is every chance we look back in five ten years and it looks very different even than, than what it does today. So it's been good having a chat um, with you about all that. Thank you for coming on, um, guys. If you want to connect with Andy, I think probably the best place is on LinkedIn, isn't it? You're pretty active on there. You, you put quite a lot of interesting posts and content up there. Yeah, you, you'll just say it's yeah. the best place to get in touch with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I want. I'm probably an influencer. <laughs> no, not really. I'm, um, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to give you that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't hashtag me. Um, no, yeah, link, LinkedIn's a good place. I'm, I'm, I'm on that most days. It's somewhere where, you know, as as, as you are, you know, you, you can find you, you tribe a little bit easier um, on social media. I'm not a massive social media person, Facebook and what have you, but it's been another medium which has changed human behaviour. So, yeah, li- LinkedIn, good place to be. Um, I'm, I'm also um, integral part of a financial advisor mentoring group. So if people are thinking about second careers, thinking about getting into financial planning or investment management and unsure about how to do it, then through myself and through other people in that group, we, we can hopefully offer quite a bit of advice. So, yeah, Andy Taylor on LinkedIn, that's the best place for me. I'll drop the um, the link to Andy's profile in the show notes as well. But um, Andy, thanks so much. Pleasure. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Andy. I uh, really enjoyed catching up with him. I think there's a lot of similarities between what I talk about in a lot of my content, a lot of these podcast episodes, and what Andy talks about when finding the right role for you. you know, at the end of the day, it's all about finding what makes you happy. And like you say, it can seem a bit cheesy and you know a bit cliche, but it is really true. You know. It, Money is really important and it's important that you've got enough money to do the things you want to do. But the reason why it's important is because it gives you that freedom and that flexibility to do the stuff that makes you happy. And so when, when you're looking for a job, I definitely it definitely resonates with me um, talking to Andy about the fact that you know, money is one thing, money is important, but not if it's going to make you miserable. You know, finding a job that makes you um, want to get up and, and go and do the things that you have to do. 35 plus hours a week is super, super important. And, you know, I would encourage you to do that. If you're sitting back and looking at your financial plan, if you've listened to my content, you know that the the place I always get you to start is what does my ideal life look like? You know, what do I want to be doing with my time? And it's really important you don't just look at the weekend for that. You know, make sure you're looking at, you know, what does my commute look like in an ideal world? How many days a a week would I be going somewhere into an office where there's a bit of buzz, a bit of a vibe? How many days a week would I be working from home, wearing my slippers, having a cup of tea or some lunch with with my partner? You know, all those things are really, really, really important. And again, just like your investments, once you have a really clear picture in your mind of what your ideal life looks like from nine-ish to five-ish during the week, you can then compare that to your current job and say, you know, is it matching where I want to be or do I need to think about trying to make some changes? So I hope, I hope you found some value in that. Um, as always, you can find all the contact information for, for Andy in, in the show notes of, of this episode. Um, definitely follow him on LinkedIn. He, he's pretty active on there. He puts up a lot of really interesting posts um, on, a, on a regular basis about work and about finding a new job and performing well in your job and, and hiring people if, if you're in 
if you're on that side of the of the table. So definitely check him out. Um, as always, for me, there's a couple of things that I've got to offer you at the end of this episode. Number one is the free ebook that I've got, Modern Investing Fundamentals. Now, you can pick that up on Amazon for £9 if you want to buy a copy or you can get a free one if you go to the website, give me your email address, I'll send that directly to your inbox. The website is thehedge.io and Modern Investing Fundamentals is really a beginner's guide to everything to do with investments. I cover all the major asset classes, whether that's shares, whether that's fixed interest, property-based investments, even cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, um, as well as things like how to structure your emergency fund, what risk really means, the importance of diversification, all that good stuff you can find in that book. So make sure you jump on the website, thehedge.io and pick up your free copy. And finally, if you, if I could also please ask you to follow the show and rate the show five stars on your favorite podcast app, whether that's Apple, Spotify, CastBox, wherever it is you get your podcasts, that really helps me um, or helps show other people that the show is worth listening to and that it's, uh, it's something to check out. So that would be really, really useful to me. Now, we have the budget coming up in just a couple of weeks. So I want to know what questions you've got about the budget. We've got the budget. We've got the end of the tax year coming up where there's national insurance increases. There's the student loan threshold is, is being frozen. We've got the off-gem energy cap going up 54%. There's loads and loads of stuff coming up. And I want to know your questions so that I can make sure I'm bringing you really tailored and specific content over the next couple of weeks. Again, best way to get in touch with me, go to the hedge.io website and click on ask me a question and send me an email. Let me know what your thoughts are. Thanks always for listening, guys. And I look forward to chatting to you next week.